What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I am John Fort in for Kelly Evans, and here is what is ahead on The Exchange. The jobs report comes out tomorrow morning. Right? With companies unable to find workers, we're going to look at current employment trends and talk to the CEO of a company partnering with big names like Walmart and Target about how to attract and retain employees. Plus, mask mandates and vaccination requirements at restaurants. Are we all going back to ordering delivery? We'll ask the CEO of Papa John's, who probably hopes so. And in rapid fire, chips rip, car trips, and places you might want to skip. We will explain it all, but we begin with markets heading higher. Dom Chu with some numbers. Dom. Solidly higher, and we can say that it's a record high for the NASDAQ composite, John, so I'm going to put that gold star right next to them because the half percent gains that you're seeing here, up 88 points for the NASDAQ composite, put it in record high territory. We're just about a half a percent, even less away from that for the S&P 500. And by the way, up 14 points right now at the highs of the day, we were up 21 points. At the lows of the day, we were up six. That gives you an idea of the trading range so far today, 170 some point gains for the Dow Industrials. One theme that traders are watching right now is the outperformance today in the small cap index overall. And that is trying to help kind of close some of the gap in performance there. You can see the Russell 2000 on a year-to-date basis had been handily outperforming the S&P. It's dropped off a little bit, but that gap is what traders are watching. Can it close it? Can the small caps really play catch-up and get back to those record high levels that the other parts of the market are getting to? So that's one trade to watch. And then the stock of the day, it was the most looked-up ticker on CNBC.com yesterday. It is trending so far today. Robinhood markets down 14 and a quarter percent after it registers to file a bunch of new shares in a secondary offering over the course of the next several years. That is leading to some of that pressure here. But at one point, John, this was a thirty three dollar and twenty five cent stock and it got up as high as eighty five up here. Just give you an idea of the trading range so far. Sixty dollars and a quarter right now. So call it roughly up. 150 plus percent from low to high and then off like another 30 percent right now. Certainly a huge volatile move there for Robinhood. Just a few days old in public markets. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, sign of the times, as Prince would say. Dom, thanks. And as this new wave of meme-like stock trading coincides with record highs for the markets, the uh, Van X Social Sentiment ETF, with tr- which tracks investment-related mentions of large and mid-cap U.S. stocks and lists Virgin Galactic, AMD, GameStop, and Rocket Companies as some of its top holdings. That's up 8% in the last three months, but drilling down on those holdings shows volatility. Space is up more than 3% today and up the same over the past week. AMD is down 4% after a 10% rise during the same time. And GameStop, higher today, but that's down 7%. So does it... Uh, pay to follow the meme trade. Joining me now is Mark Smith, Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Wells Fargo Advisors and CNBC's own Bob Pisani. Guys, good to have you. Mark, start with you. So I, I don't understand what a meme stock is anymore. I thought it was like a depressed name that was heavily shorted and, you know, primed for a bounce. But like AMD, there's real fundamentals 
behind that stock. So if you own it and it gets caught up in something like this, do you trim it? Do you sell it? Do you hold on to it? What, what do you do in this market? Yeah, I, my clients are asking me questions like this all the time, John. And you know what I what I respond to is momentum investing uh, with no underlying uh, fundamentals is is inherently gambling. And so, if you're okay with gambling with your hard-earned money, then yeah, pick up some of these meme stocks that have, don't have any fundamentals and don't have any clients and don't have a sure way to profitability. Uh, if you have if you've got a meme stock that has a you know a competitor that's out there that can do exactly the same thing then uh, maybe you're in it for the wrong reasons. And so it really is important to know and stick to your guns about fundamentals. And, um, and I think that's what memes are, John. It basically is momentum investing with no fundamentals. And, um, and when the music stops, you can, get, you can get hurt. But Bob Pisani, what do you do if something that you have that has fundamentals suddenly overnight turns into a meme stock? I mean, what are, what are traders saying and what does history tell us about maybe uh, companies that have strong prospects real growth, but then get caught up in a maelstrom. Yeah, the trading community is very unhappy with the last couple of weeks because it's so choppy that you can't make money. So remember, there's professional traders who come in, real professional traders come in every day and try to trade the market. Their positions are getting whacked around rather dramatically up and down every day. So this kind of choppy trading leaves people, a lot of people surprisingly losing money in this situation. So the question is very, very simple. What, what is it when you own Robinhood at this point? What is it now? It's no longer trading on the fundamentals, as Mark said. The important thing is these are essentially plays on volatility. They're call options. Just like AMC wasn't really about the movies, GameStop wasn't really about collecting video games. At this point, at these trading levels, Robinhood isn't really a play on whether retail trading is going to get higher or not. There, it's a call option on volatility. The big issue is when do you go back to trading on fundamentals? And you don't know. But obviously, a large part of these meme stocks are trading with people who are what we call fundamentally fundamental insensitive. And when that happens, you can't expect it the stock to trade on fundamentals, John. Yeah, I still wonder what you do with AMD, which has fundamentals. It's not AMC, it's AMD. I don't know, maybe some people are getting confused, but Mark, uh, let's go boring, right? Less volatility. Muni bonds. Um, A lot of people had run away from bonds for a while, but uh, now it's time to pick them up. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that, John. Uh, One is the government has done a tremendous job in shoring up a lot of different states around the country because of the pandemic. And so right now, it's probably uh, a great time to get into munis because of the risk that you're actually taking on. Remember, when you buy a bond, you're really looking at default risk. Um, most of these states have more money in their coffers than they ever had in the last you know, 30, 40 years. So uh, munis are a great hideout, especially when we think that taxes may go up. That's been a conversation um, for the last six months. And if Muni is a great place to hide out because it's tax-free income. And so uh, for all those reasons, uh, Muni's are a great place. And, and we're at all-time highs. Some folks are thinking, how long is that going to last? Muni's another great place to hang out in volatility. So, Bob, if there is a place that's less volatile where traders are camping out, is there a play not just on Muni's, but also you know, stocks that might benefit or not from this infrastructure bill, which we will be talking about later on in the hour? 
There is uh, several ETFs that have attracted a significant amount of new money this year. PAVE, P-A-V-E, which is the main infrastructure ETF. We just had the uh, CEO of that on a couple of weeks ago on ETF Edge. They're attracting huge amounts of, of, of inflow. Uh, the problem is it's hard to figure out where the allocations are going to be for a lot of these individual stocks. O overall, right now, the market is continuing to believe that the economic recovery is going to be fine and the COVID variants are going to slow but not derail the recovery. The problem is the word slow can encompass a lot of things from a little bit slow to a lot slow and we don't know how much the variants are going to change consumer behavior. What we need to know, what you really need to know, John, is when are we going to see the peak variants occur and that is not answerable right now. That's the main X factor that the investment community is facing. Yeah, it's, it's knocking a lot of stocks around along with everything else doing the same. Bob Pisani, Mark Smith, thank you. Okay. And coming up, we have an exclusive look at recruiter sentiment ahead of tomorrow's jobs report. And we will speak with the CEO of a tech unicorn teaming up with Target to tackle the skills gap. Plus, Congressman Josh Gottheimer says the infrastructure bill could head to the House at any moment. We will speak with the co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus about the hurdles it could face once it gets there. The exchange will be right back. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the ongoing labor shortage, tomorrow's jobs report will be followed closely. The whisper number is a gain of 845,000 jobs, a sign that growth is slowing. But let's step back to look at the bigger picture. The U.S. economy is still nearly 7 million jobs shy of pre-pandemic levels, leaving corporate America desperate to hire talent. And companies, big and small, are pulling out all the stops to attract and retain employees. Let's take a closer look at recruiting and talent development. Joining me to discuss is Evan Sohn, chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. And uh, on the efforts to incentivize workers, Rachel Carlson, co-founder and CEO of Guild Education, is here as well. Guild just announced a partnership with Target to provide debt-free education to workers yesterday. Let's start with recruitment. Evan, uh, how is this going in this market where it's so hard to find workers? Uh, I believe a couple months ago, recruiters were optimistic, right? So the interesting thing that we're seeing this month is that recruiter sentiment actually hit the highest it's been at 3.9 out of 5, yet candidate sentiment is at a low of 3.1. So really have this disparity between uh, the, uh, the, the actual job force itself. Um, the other thing that we're seeing, you know, at the end of the day here, it's a really tough market for employers. We spoke last month about chasing candidates. We just think it's a phenomenal market now for talent acquisition professionals and recruiters. Uh, that segment is on a rise in terms of people looking for recruiters to help fill those 
open roles. And you're right, companies are trying to figure out how to get those candidates in. Uh, we saw that remote work actually ticked up by about 8%. Salaries remain pretty uh, stable uh, in terms of where they were last month as reported by the recruiters. But like I said, remote work. So now let's shift out and make those jobs more remote available for those candidates themselves. Now, what, what am I not getting here? Uh, with things being as tight as they are, how can candidate sentiment be down, but recruiter sentiment be up? I would expect it to be the other way around. Crazy, but look, you know, I think recruiter sentiment is up because they're in high demand. Uh, it's one of the top industries now that we're seeing in terms of tick up is really people, companies looking for talent acquisition professionals to help them with their candidate needs. Candidates are still not looking, uh, maybe they're not actively looking, they're waiting for after Labor Day, uh, et cetera. What you actually saw on the last slide was that we actually reported a, decre uh, a decrease in the need for college degrees. So last month, uh, the bulk of the recruiters reporting that about 67% required a college degree. Now that's down to 65%. And by the way, the bulk of the jobs that the recruiters are working on are $80,000 and plus. So now you have these jobs that are paying $80,000, less need for a college degree, and that really goes to what are companies doing? They're expanding the base where they can actually recruit from. You know, and I started to use the expression while we're saying work from anywhere, from a candidate perspective, we're going to start seeing a hire from anywhere from an employer and a talent acquisition perspective. Do you have any sense, Evan, on how uh, durable these trends are, the, be able, the ability to sort of work from anywhere, the demand or at least uh, leverage that workers and candidates have uh, to do that? Is that just a function of the top uh, tight job market that we have? Do these things t tend to go away? So here's the interesting thing. Uh, one of the things we asked in the recruiter.com recruiter index is are the jobs that you're working on, the bulk of those jobs, are they new jobs or backfill, right? Are you replacing someone or are these new roles? And actually 60% of the jobs that they're working on are actually new jobs. 40% are backfills. That means there's really this great expansion that's going on even in these companies. And again, keep in mind that talent acquisition professionals and recruiters, they're gonna go where people are hiring. So it's the 80,000 plus jobs, it's, uh, it's the remote jobs, we're seeing now a trend in business services, et cetera. Sadly, some of the jobs from last month, things like retail and food services were pretty stable because we saw this bigger uptick in business services. So there is expansion going on in the market now. Obviously, IT and healthcare are also on the top sides as well. Yeah, all right, well that's a great Look at the trends and numbers, Evan, thank you. And we'll turn now to employee incentives. Target, in partnership with Guild Education, announced it would provide access to debt-free education for all 340,000 employees. Here's what Target CEO Brian Cornell told Closing Bell about interest in the program. Today, after we announced it, we've had hundreds of team members already go online and sign up for the program. Hmm. So I think we're gonna be able to have a huge impact for those team members who want to go back and get their GED or take college classes towards a degree, certificate programs, master programs. Let's bring in Rachel Carlson, CEO of Guild Education, which enabled this program. Rachel, uh, we've been talking for a long time, but it seems like all of a sudden entering this new stage, these are two of the biggest employers that are offering this benefit at zero cost, uh, you know, tuition, books in the case of Walmart, at least, which I believe you announced uh, last week. What's going on here that's driving this and are others going to follow? 
Thanks, first of all, for having me, John, and thanks for caring about this issue for so many years. You're right. We've hit the moment where employers and really the most innovative employers in particular are realizing that the best thing they can do to differentiate themselves as a company, as an employer, is to offer economic mobility, upskilling, and the opportunity to gain more skills and move up within a company or eventually move on. And that's what you're seeing Target and Walmart and others do today. Now, this is interesting to me and has been for a long time because to me, the move from $15 an hour, say, to $17.50, yes, it's nice in the near term, but that's not necessarily going to change somebody's life in the long term. But if they can pick up durable skills for a new economy, that that can be really important. So uh, Cornell there mentioned GEDs. What are the sorts of certifications and degrees uh, that these workers are pursuing? And what's the retention benefit that the companies you think are going to see or have seen historically? Yeah, it's a real win-win. So from the employee perspective, Target in particular is offering the most comprehensive set of programs and offerings that we've seen. What they're doing is they're offering everything, as mentioned, from that high school completion GED program, which is really important for the Americans who didn't have a chance to complete that at the age of 18, all the way up through undergraduate credentials, certificates, as well as master's degrees for the employees who need that. And so what they're really thinking about is how do we cater to all of our employees, but especially our frontline workforce, in providing them with something that's going to give them the opportunity to learn and earn. Uh, In terms of the company benefit that you asked about, we're seeing that companies that are offering education and upskilling to their frontline workforce, they are winning the war for talent. These are the companies that are seeing 25 percent plus um, increases in their job applicants from high quality applications. They're also seeing their retention double at many of the companies we work with. Chipotle, for example, has been very public about the fact that their employees who take advantage of the upskilling opportunity are being promoted at a dramatically higher rate. Hmm. And we also see that underrepresented uh, employees uh, think black talent and uh, Hispanic and Latinx employees are using this as a really great opportunity to differentiate themselves and to use upskilling to get promoted within the company. So Rachel, what happens in this sort of either hybrid or remote schooling environment uh, for this cohort of often frontline workers um, who, who are being served by programs like this, who aren't your typical, you know, late teenager, early 20-year-old who people tend to think of as a college student. The, the typical college student in America actually is a woman right in her early 30s who's maybe got a kid. So w- now that there are these technological capabilities at the same time as these programs are coming online, what's the potential over the next five years to grow careers and grow the economy? It's wildly exciting that we're finally at a point where the market is meeting the consumer. As you mentioned, the 18-year-old did want a campus. He was devastated by COVID. But the 32-year-old single mom, often a woman of color, she wanted to learn online. She just didn't always have access or the opportunity to attend high-quality nonprofit and public schools, which is who we exclusively work at with Guild. So the opportunity to now have historically Black colleges and universities offering programs online, to have Hispanic-serving institutions like the University of Arizona, who specialize in thinking about various populations that need upskilling and resourcing, and to have schools across the entire United States that are now saying, how do we serve the new normal student, that 32-year-old single mom? It's really fantastic because it means they can learn in a way that meets the needs of their life. Hmm. And uh, it'll be great to see if that lifts the whole economy as well as that big cohort uh, gains skill and broader perspective. Rachel Carlson, thank you. 
Thanks so much, John. Uh, Guild, I should mention, is a two-time CNBC Disruptor 50 company, and our weekly newsletter offers a closer look at disruptors like Guild. You can sign up by visiting cnbc.com slash disruptor newsletter. Coming up, shares of Uber making a U-turn in the past 24 hours, now trading higher after selling off following its earnings report yesterday. We will tell you what's driving the turnaround next. Plus, Amazon, Wells Fargo, and BlackRock all delaying their return to office dates today. But should some employers be ready with a leave-the-office plan if cases continue to climb? We'll explore in Rapid Fire The Exchange. Be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Weather forecasters from Colorado State are now expecting two fewer named tropical storms this year. They're now expecting 18 during the Atlantic hurricane season. Researchers still expect an above-average season for storm activity. In California, the Dixie Fire has now burned more than 500 square miles, including much of Greenville. That's a small town that dates all the way back to the gold rush. Roughly 5,000 firefighters are working to contain the wildfire. And on the news, the fire that refuses to be tamed. And it's not alone. The latest on Western wildfires tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And China shares of Tencent hitting their lowest level in more than a year, even as the company's WeChat app resumes signing up new users in China. New registrations were halted last month to upgrade security technology in line with government policies. And an Olympic sprinter from Belarus explaining how she avoided being forced onto a plane home after criticizing her coaches. The Olympian says that she used her phone to translate a plea for help and show it to Japanese police in the airport, who then took her away from Belarusian officials. You're now up to date, John. I'll send it back to you. Now, tech to the rescue, Rahel, thanks. And up next, better ingredients, better pizza, the slogan goes, and better than expected earnings for Papa John's. We will speak exclusively with the CEO about the quarter, hiring efforts, and the Delta variant risks. The exchange is back in just a moment. Shares of Papa John's higher today on the heels of strong earnings. Let's get a quick check on the markets. You can see here the Dow up fractionally, about a half a percent, 184 uh, points. And uh, the S&P and NASDAQ higher as well. Also fractionally, we were talking earlier about what a volatile market it has been for several stocks. You know, we talk about meme stocks. It's hard to know exactly which those are anymore because bigger stocks have been caught up in that frenzy. But the overall indices are higher. Uh, We, of course, continue to track that throughout the day. Uh, Meanwhile, chips on a tear, uh, Yelp's new filter, and can Uber deliver on drivers? All that and more coming up on today's Rapid Fire, The Exchange. We'll be right back. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It is time for Rapid Fire. Here to help break down the headlines, our own Christina Partsnevelis, uh, Destination Wealth Management founder and CEO Michael Yoshikami, and Wall Street Journal columnist and CNBC contributor Joanna Stern. 
First up, the chip wreck of 2021 is no more, with big names staging a big rally this week. The VanEck Semiconductor ETF, ticker SMH, is trading near all-time highs and up more than 2% in the past week, while individual names also posting big gains. Micron and microchip technology both up more than 5%. AMD and KLA are up more than 10%, and on semi, up nearly 20%. Um, Michael, what do you do in this situation? I mean, there's a broad difference in how different chip stocks are doing. Intel's in the doldrums. AMD all of a sudden a meme stock, even though it had been ripping higher. You got Qualcomm doing a, a hostile bid for an auto company. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of activity, obviously, with the huge shortage that we have right now in, in chip stocks. I think it really gives that, it fuels the public's thinking that there's a shortage. Whenever there's a shortage, I think there tends to be higher demand. Intel's kind of a special situation. Obviously, they're going through uh, some adjustments to their business model right now. But uh, in general, um, everything is going to keep going computer, keep going chip. And so I think the overall sector, I think it's um, going to um, yeah. bound to have tailwinds, I think, going forward. And Joanna, you actually get these items in your hands and review them once, you know, the chips inside already. It's interesting in this environment of shortages, Apple said that there are going to be shortages. We heard Roku saying, boy, we don't know about these devices in the second half. It, interesting that the semiconductor names themselves are higher. I guess it goes to show just how much people want the gadgets, no matter how much uh, the, the supply is short. Yeah, it's been a very exciting time for chips, not something that we usually say. Um, yes, we've got the shortage going on, but also quite on the, on the actual product end, lots of changes happening there. I mean, earlier this week, Google announcing the new chip that they're going to make in their own products uh, that we, we talked about a little bit earlier in the week, the hit that took to Qualcomm or if that would take a hit to Qualcomm. Here we've got AMD rising again. I've actually been hearing more about AMD than I have in years when it comes to laptops and desktops. Yesterday, Apple Apple announced an update to its MacBook Pro. AMD announced new chips there, new Radeon chips there uh, that will give higher GPU power. So on the actual product end, my takeaway is that right now it's actually a very good time for chips. There's there, People are maybe and consumers are actually going to be talking about or thinking about what chip is in their device. <laughs> and yeah. maybe they'll actually be getting a PS5 this Christmas. We'll see how the shortage goes on these things. Coming up now next, uh, Uber shares rallying today after uh, an after hour sell off yesterday. Despite a second quarter earnings beat, uh, investors concerned about a loss of more than $500 million in its core ride-sharing business. And part of that loss is due to the incentives Uber offered to attract drivers and shorten wait times for users. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi told Squawk Box this morning the company has started to taper those off as business gets back on track. In July, we were able to pull back on incentives. We're able to target our incentives much more precisely and at the same time, the first time drivers that we brought on in July were up 30% uh, versus June. So now that we have the flow coming, onboarding is much easier for drivers. We're able to pull back on incentives. Drivers are still able to earn, and the experience is getting better and better and better. Christina, I don't know. I'm starting to question this whole ride-hailing model. The service has gotten worse. The driver pay has gone down over time, it seems like delivering food just makes people happier. 
Yeah, but the margins are so small on delivering food, especially when you're just ordering uh, some toilet paper. I did it last week here to CNBC just to uh, test it out. But with Uber in general, yeah, they increased their drivers by 30 percent. It's an extra 450,000 drivers. But you think Uber also said that they're going to be taking a smaller portion of that. They used to take about 20 to 25 percent of each ride. Now they're taking 18.75 to incentivize these drivers. But I want to bring up another company that, you know, is just changing the pace of how things could go. Revel, they announced that they're going to be launching 50 EV models in New York, and they are going to actually hire their drivers. They're not going to be contractors. And I think that could be something uh, in a headwind, I guess you could say, in, in the future for Uber, because the labor issues, these rebel drivers will actually get health care, they'll get benefits, still a constant issue, labor, with uh, on the Uber front. Michael, is there opportunity here? I think about Uber, that IPO was disappointing. Lyft, uh, it wasn't disappointing at first, but, you know, sort of hasn't gone far since. And then everybody was waiting for Didi, how great that's going to be. And then we saw what the Chinese government did to help out after that IPO. I mean, is this a moment to jump in the back uh, with these stocks or to just let the car go by? Well, I think if you're a very long-term investor and you look past uh, just ride sharing or, or uh, Uber's business in terms of being a substitute for taxis, Uber is really moving towards basically a service business where they are essentially are a on-demand FedEx service for all products and services. That's where Uber is headed. This whole driver thing is really kind of noise in the meantime while they move to that space. Um, I share your skepti skepticism about the model in terms of uh, uh, the uh, Uber uh, uh, passenger business because I just don't think that's going to work long term, particularly as autonomous vehicles come online. So I think that's what you have to really look at. If you're, you're looking at Uber, you're looking at these type of names, it's essentially on-demand FedEx service. What's that worth? What's that worth? Mm. That's what investors need to be pricing in terms of companies like Uber and Lyft. Isn't it weird, Joanne? It seems like delivering people should be a more premium kind of higher pay experience than delivering groceries and takeout. Uh, but I'm not sure that's translating in the way that, I mean, uh, this technology, which sort of came on with the smartphone and GPS, it's a great example of, of building on top of the iPhone's innovation. It, it sort of seems to be stalling in a way. I actually missed the first half of the question because my Internet is just completely stalled. But <laughs> I'm going to say that I have been very interested in how Uber is going to take and, and building off what was just said, how they're going to take the growth that they had during the pandemic around Uber Eats and, as as you guys mentioned, uh, delivery of uh, just be, of goods and see if they can convert that to actual riders. Uh, if people started using the app during the pandemic, do they move to using that? And what do they go beyond as just as you guys have been talking about a taxi as a, as a ride sharing service? Hey, Joanna, a lot of people answer neither half of the question. So you're good. You're you're batting a thousand. Next up. I Yelp. really have no idea what I just <laughs> Adding It made sense, though. Adding two new search functions to keep users up to date on vaccination and other COVID requirements at businesses. Starting today, users can search using proof of vaccination required or all staff fully vaccinated. It's part of Yelp's effort to make it easier for businesses to communicate policies. Earlier this week, New York became the first major U.S. city to require proof of vaccination to enter gyms, restaurants, and other indoor venues beginning in September. Christina, uh, depending on the, you know, whether your state is red or blue, or I guess maybe your zip code, uh, people seem to have very different feelings in businesses about vaccination requirements and mask requirements. But I guess being able to search by that is going to be good 
either way. Uh, it may not, actually, because it could put your company, uh, your company c- could become a target. And that's because we can't underestimate the, the size of the anti-vax movement. And one of the comments that Yelp did uh, mention, too, is these review bombings. So if you go on there, your company, your small mom and pop shop says that we're going to require vaccines. And then you have a bunch of people leave horrible reviews because they're against your policy. That makes you a target. And the thing that uh, I guess pinpointed or I noticed with Yelp is that they're going to be very reactive, not proactive. So they're going to try to pull down these bad reviews, and they've already removed 4,500 of them just over the last little while. But the news will already get out there. The bad reviews will already get out there. And I think that's a little concerning. All right. Well, maybe it's not good either way. And finally, the Delta variant and spiking COVID cases throwing a wrench in companies' return to work plans. And it's also creating a need for exit strategies in case firms have to pivot uh, to a remote workforce again. And Christina, you've been following this for us. Yeah, there's a bunch of surveys out, the first one with Gartner, and they're just saying that a lot of corporations are just unsure of how to move forward, and that's because so many employees are hesitant about returning to work. They don't want to come into the newsroom, into their office. And then we have another survey just here at CNBC that focused on the the number of people that are are going to be, I should say, employers requiring mask mandates, and that's at 79% from from our recent survey. And so overall, though, the, the interesting point that I found in this research is that we keep talking about mask mandates, vaccine Mm. mandates, but not what do we do if things don't work at all? What's our exit strategy? Yeah. Joanna Stern, you're in the office, right? You don't have a long string of fluorescent ceiling lighting at home. I am in the office right now, and apparently the Wi-Fi isn't very good here, so I guess I should go back home. Go home, um, I have been saying I think every company and every employee needs a go bag, a tech go bag, a work from home go bag, or a work from the office go bag. And that is where their office is. It's yeah. in a bag. You don't know if you're going to the office some week. You don't know if you're working from home another week. That's how I think uh, like volatile we're in the situation we're in. Got to go bag, Michael? Uh, well, we're, uh, we've already announced that we're going to keep everybody the office, out of the office until January. Uh, there's just too much uncertainty. And when we go back, we're going to go massive hybrid. At this point, we're only going to have people come back to the office two days a week and be three days remote, which has been... Uh, very well received. I, I think, um, as you have seen, um, many companies are really starting to reverse their policies uh, yeah. because they were just too aggressive. And I think it's better to be more conservative than aggressive, considering what's happening with COVID right now. Get a go bag, everybody. And right now, rapid fire is going to go. Thanks, Christina Parts Michael Yoshikami, and Joanna Stern. And now let's turn to pizza. Shares of Papa John's higher today after delivering stronger than expected results. It also announced uh, an expanded partnership to push further into international markets. Joining me now in an exclusive interview is Rob Lynch, the CEO of Papa John's, and our own Kate Rogers. Kate. John, thanks so much. And Rob, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kate. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, Well, John just mentioned this international expansion. Opening up new locations is a big story for the company this quarter. You have this new partnership with uh, Drake Food Service International for the 220 new locations to be opened overseas in the next few years. Talk to us about the white space you see both internationally and here in the U.S. Yeah, you know, as as one of the largest uh, delivery pizza uh, companies on, on the planet, we have a lot more white space than a lot of our competitors. We're in about 50 countries internationally. Uh, a lot of our competitors are in about 100. And even in the markets that we're in, we're underpenetrated. Markets like China, where we only have 200 restaurants, we can easily put 1,000 restaurants there. But lots of opportunity in Latin America, the Middle East, continental Europe. Domestically, 
historically, we've, we felt like we were a little built out here, but we only have about 3,400 restaurants relative to our peer group, which has closer to 6,000. So just a lot of opportunity for us to go out and build. And franchisees, franchisees are more excited than ever because their unit economics have significantly improved over the last two years. So they've got a lot of capital that they want to reinvest back into the business. That means growth for our brand. That means growth for our business. So uh, we're really excited about the unit development opportunities we see moving forward. Let's talk a bit about labor supply. We all know it's historically tight in the restaurant industry in particular. Papa John's does work with all the different delivery aggregators. Has that alleviated any of the labor pressure that you're seeing in the market right now? It's definitely helped. We have great partnerships with all of the major national aggregators. Uh, you know, over the last six months, labor markets have really tightened up. And we've tried to make sure that we're an employer of choice by extending bonuses and benefits above and beyond what we've done in the past. Uh, but the aggregators have definitely filled in where we've been short staffed and our restaurant operators and our franchisees have really partnered with them. It is a really symbiotic relationship where we can provide trips for them and they can come in when we need drivers. We talked last quarter about tightness also in the supply chain, how that was trickling down to some of your restaurants. Have you seen any of that uh, get any better in recent weeks and months? Yeah, we've definitely seen some inflation come into the P&L, particularly in the proteins and the paper for the cardboard boxes that our pizza is shipped in. Um, so it's definitely uh, put some cost pressure in, but we've been able to mitigate that through delivering innovation that's premium innovation that allows our customers to self-select into more premium items, which drives some check benefit for us. So that's mitigated some of the commodity inflation and our P&Ls are in really good shape right now. And as we're seeing Delta and COVID cases in general kind of tick up around the country, are you noticing any changes in consumer behavior? The company, the stock, uh, such winners during the pandemic because so many people had turned to delivery and carry out. Are you seeing any consumer behaviors begin to modify as things kind of get worse around the country right now? You know, it's been such a roller coaster ride. Obviously, with the onset of the pandemic, uh, behavior changed and people were, as people quarantined and, and moved inside and our business thrived there. And we have been watching really closely as markets have opened back up what the impact of that reopening has been. And we've continued to persevere. We've continued to do great. Our sales growth has maintained and, and our customers that we gained in 2020 and throughout the pandemic have been coming back in 2021. The Delta variant is, is, is you know, a few weeks really taking hold. We haven't seen really a significant change in our business. We'll continue to monitor that though. But we think that we've built a foundation that can persevere through uh, the pandemic or, or the reopening. Rob Lynch, we have to leave it there. Papa John CEO, thank you so much for joining us and congrats on the quarter. Kate, thank you very much. And thank you, John, Kate, you. as well. Yes, uh, coming up, one company is changing its ticker to avoid crypto confusion. That's next. And you miss us sometimes, but you can catch the show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following the Exchange podcast. We are back in a moment. Markets moving higher ahead of tomorrow's key jobs report with the Nasdaq hitting a new all-time high. And here are some movers this hour. Shares of Weber cooking with gas higher in their public debut despite or maybe because of a downsized IPO. The grill maker sold fewer shares than planned and priced its shares at $14. That's below the expected range. Still, it's hoping to build on the success that its competitor Traeger is seeing. Traeger shares up 25% since last week's IPO and have yet to post a day of losses. Meanwhile, Ethan Allen is changing its ticker symbol from ETH 
to ETD to reflect its focus on interior design. The company believes the change is also going to help distinguish it from Ethereum. Since the crypto is usually abbreviated ETH, that change goes into effect on August 16th. And Ethereum, by the way, is up nearly 20% since Monday on pace for its best week since May. Still ahead, New Jersey poised to get $12 billion from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. We will talk to Congressman Josh Gottheimer, Democrat from the Garden State and co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus next. The Exchange, we'll be right back. Back, the $1.1 trillion infrastructure bill making its way through the Senate with a vote possible as early as this weekend. But the subsequent vote in the House might not be so simple as progressive Democrats have quietly complained about the fate of the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill supposedly on deck. Here's what Ted Cruz had to say about the support for new spending in Congress earlier today on Squawk Box. If this bill were the only bill that we're moving, uh, if this bill were being offered in exchange for the massive $3.5 trillion tax and spend bill that the Democrats are pushing, I think you would get very widespread, if not overwhelming, support for this bill. And joining me now, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, Democrat from New Jersey, co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, Congressman, can you solve this problem, uh, even if it's an intra-party one, and get this done? I think we will. You know, coming out of the Senate, which I'm confident this piece of legislation, which is bipartisan, as you pointed out, uh, uh, either this weekend or very early next week, will head its way over to the House. Um, the president is behind it. The country is behind it. We're, we're desperate to invest in our infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our rails, our water infrastructure, broadband, you name it. We, this has gone on too long where we've waited to get something done. I just don't believe we're going to let uh, anything muck it up. And so I'm, I'm optimistic this will get done and this will move. Why the confidence? I mean, bipartisan might actually be easier than intraparty during these times, even though we're facing some challenges as a country, certainly as an economy that everybody should be able to understand coming out, we hope, of a pandemic. Well, you know, I, I think the reason I'm optimistic is because the fact that, A, you've got so many Democrats and Republicans in the Senate agreeing on this, the Problem Solvers Caucus, uh, which is 29 Democrats and 29 Republicans in the House, We've been working very closely for months with our Senate colleagues, Democrats and Republicans, building toward this agreement. And what was incredible is actually how much common ground there is here. And when you go home, you hear from your constituents, which are the people we work for, uh, the residents and the families in my district here in northern New Jersey, how much they want us to get something done. And I know that's something a lot of my colleagues are hearing. So, you know, when the president adds on to that and the White House is behind it, there's, there's going to be a lot of momentum to get this over the finish line and not let it get hung up. Uh, you know, you could know the perfect is always the enemy of the good. Mm. This is one of those uh, pieces of legislation where, you know, the country is with you. And this whether this jobs and the economy fixing uh, rails and roads or uh, all the electric vehicles that we're going to be able to get onto the road because of this. You know, there's so much uh, behind this, so much momentum that I believe it'll get done. So, uh Give some color to that, both what you're hearing from constituents and uh, what local uh, officials in New Jersey you think are going to be likely to do with that $12 billion that would come from this. What sorts of things besides the roads and bridges that everybody thinks of when they think infrastructure uh, would come to a place like New Jersey uh, if this goes through? Well, you've got things, you're right, like, listen, your transit system needs a lot of help, especially after COVID, where some, you know, we've, we haven't had the riders that we normally would have. So that's going to help. You've got electric buses that'll come out, which obviously is very good 
for the environment. Um, a third of the bridges in New Jersey are considered unsafe. So that's a huge issue. People recognize that. Third worst roads in the country. That means tougher commutes at night. You don't get to see your kids. Uh, it also means uh, in the morning, um, you're, you know, you're late to work and that hurts the economy. So there's a lot of reason to get these things done. Then, as you point out, there's water. We still have huge lead water issues in so many of our, our schools and, and the last mile going into the homes that less a bit, those old pipes that are hmm. lead coated and other uh, what they call forever chemicals that have to be addressed. Uh, the broadband is a very big issue that connectivity in, in northern New Jersey, which I represent. We still have a lot of families that have basic dial-up. Bigger um, issue. Bigger issue yeah. now, right? In a heavily populated area where people might be in a hybrid situation, but still need to get productive work done to keep the economy going. It's about small businesses. We saw during COVID. It's about schools for your kids. It's obviously about seeing a doctor. You know, it, it's a very big issue, uh, broadband, and we saw it uh, up front. This is going to really help connect all those people that are still unserved or underserved. It's a big deal up and down. I mean, Jersey, it's very big for Jersey, right? We're talking about, um, you know, billions of dollars that are going to come to states like mine for highways, for public transit, um, for, for broadband. It's really going to make a very big difference. You know, our infrastructure is literally crumbling around us. Uh, I was at a bridge, uh, you know, the other day uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. It has not, it, it has been crumbling for years. There's pieces that fall off the bridge. You know, you got cars underneath. It's dangerous. You know, and and on top of that, you live in the we live in the greatest country in the world. There's no reason why our infrastructure should be like this from a competitiveness standpoint. China last year spent three and a half trillion dollars on infrastructure outside of China, and here we are fighting to try to get something done to move forward. We finally got it. Now we got to get a bipartisan standalone vote in the House and just get this done. Yeah, well, for reasons that our viewers know, China doesn't have to worry about bipartisanship or even intra-party wrangling. Uh, that is for sure. True. But we like, we like democracy and capitalism. Uh, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, thanks for being with me. I'm for democracy and capitalism and the electric grid. We can do all of it. Yeah, the electric grid certainly helps as well. We like that. And that will do it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.